You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by today's message. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject. Brian, you're going to have to stand by the door and make sure no one leaves, okay? Money, right? Everybody, when they come to church, they're like, I hope that pastor don't talk about money tonight. All those pastors do is talk about money, right? That's kind of, uh, the funny thing is, is the Bible talks about money a lot, a lot, a lot more than you would possibly imagine. And, And it's not only in the New Testament. It's not only in the Old Testament. It's everywhere in the Bible. So why does the Bible talk so much about money? Because it's important, right? Y'all live without money? I can't, right? I need it to pay my mortgage payment. I need it to pay my car payment. I need it to pay my insurance payment, my insurance payment, my insurance payment. (laughs) And then the doctor bills that my insurance payment won't cover. It's a little bit of social political commentary on the state of the the nation today. Uh, um, But anyway, we need money. We need money, right? Now, back in biblical times, it might have been that their currency was different. I mean, they still used coins. They still used money uh, in some of these. Sometimes they used silver and gold and various things like that. We've talked about the building of the tabernacle and bringing all the gold and things like that in. But really and truthfully, the more valuable commodities in biblical times were your grain, your livestock, your crops, all of those types of things. And so when you study Scripture, a lot of times we don't even understand that the Bible's talking about the resources that you use, like we use money, because it talks about grain. And you're like, well, that doesn't apply to me. We don't have grain. Kind of, sort of. We do. We do. We just go about it differently, right? And so tonight we're going to talk about money. We're going to look at a whole bunch of different aspects of money. Uh, And um, of course, we're going to talk about tithing because it's church. You got to talk about tithing if you mention money, right? So I hope we're going to do one of those like bring your money forward and lay it down and get the special blessing and then I'll tell you to dig deeper because the pastor needs a new pair of shoes and then I'll tell you to dig deeper. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We're not going there. But uh, we're going to talk about one of my favorite passages of Scripture is in Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, we see an early I believe very strongly in early appearance of Christ, which called a Christophany, a Christophany, an early appearance of Christ. Now, uh, in the book of Hebrews, it'll be referenced back to, again, speaking about this particular story and making a parallel with Christ. But there's so many reasons that I believe that this is an early appearance of Christ. Uh, We'll talk about some of those, but it's also a story about money. It's also a story about money. Okay, so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 14. We're going to read the scripture, uh, and then we're going to pray and ask God to guide us through this, uh, because this is a very delicate topic, obviously, right? Uh, Money. Um, we, We are willing to give God our time. We are willing to give God uh, any resource he wants, except for the money, a lot of times. And that is one of those big struggles that we have 
in our lives. So uh, let's read the scripture in Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 17. And it says, after his return from the defeat of um, Chador Lamor, yeah, that guy, uh, Cheddar Lamer, okay? And kings and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet with him at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, I just want to stop right there for just a second. We're going to get to the rest of that scripture really quickly, but there's some things that I want to point out to you. First of all, know the story, right? What's happening? right? So Abraham's nephew Lot had been captured. He'd been taken away in battle, okay? And Abraham said, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to rescue him, okay? Abraham, think about that. When we think about Abraham, we don't think about a mighty warrior, do we? No, we think about an old man, okay, that was very obedient to God. God said, pack up all your stuff and go out and I want you to settle on this land. And Abraham says, okay, right? And then God says, take your son, your one and only son that I gave you, and I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham says, okay. God showed up and told him he was gonna have that son. And Abraham said, really? I'm old. My wife is old too. And he said, okay. Right? And so when we think of Abraham, we don't think about this mighty warrior, but here's reality. Abraham packed up all of his stuff and he went to battle and he won. And he won. And so Abraham is coming back after this great victory, okay? And he runs into this priest. Now, a couple of things that you need to know here, okay? One of the big things that's important, okay, yeah, now my thing doesn't want to open it all right? Okay, here we go. One of the major things that's important here is it says in the parentheses here, he says, he brought bread and wine out to him. He was the priest of God most high. Problem, problem. There is no priesthood. Where's the priesthood come from? From Levi, from Aaron, right? And then through the tribe of Levi, Aaron is a Levite. Moses is a Levite. God establishes the priesthood from the 12 tribes of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, not born yet. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And here's a priest of the Most High God before the priesthood is established. That's pretty important, okay? I'm going to need to learn how to use technology because this thing keeps going to sleep on me. Um, I think it's on battery saver mode or something. Now, Abraham, okay, the Melchizedek looked at Abraham and he blessed him and he said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. 
I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre take their share. Now, get this right. Make sure that you're looking at that, right? So we see the king of Sodom is offering these things to Abraham because Abraham has won this victory and gotten all of his people back and gotten his goods back from these people that defeated them. So the king of Sodom's like, let me give you some stuff, okay? Don't get that confused with the fact that Abraham just looked at Melchizedek, the priest in God's name, and gave him a tenth of everything, of everything, right? And here's one of those reasons that this happens, and I hope you understand this. Giving is contagious, isn't it? Giving is contagious because you, we just made it through the Christmas season, didn't we? And don't you guys like to give? Good, because I like to receive. So we, we all got our blessings, right? So no, but, but here's the reality, right? We like to give. We like to give. And, and, and the thing is, is that when we give and we see people blessed, we want to give more, Right? And so Melchizedek, this priest, comes along and, he, and Abraham gives to the priest and the priest is, speaks this blessing over Abraham and the priest has brought bread and wine. You see the giving, the receiving, right? And then the king of Sodom looks on and goes, oh, Abraham, I want to give too. I want to give too, Right? but Abraham had already made a vow with God. It's not the king of Salem that returns the stuff to him and says, no, 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 no. It's the king of Sodom. Don't get that confused. Because Melchizedek, okay, the name means my king. My king, right? That's really important, right? And he's from Salem, which means peace. Now put that together. Now you see why I believe this is a Christophany, okay? He is a priest before the priestly line, and when it says in Hebrews that Jesus is a high priest from the line of Melchizedek, the line before the priesthood was established, right? And he's bringing bread and wine. That reminds me of the Last Supper. That reminds me of what Jesus tells us what represents this new covenant that he gives to us, right? And his name means my king of peace. Isn't one of Jesus's names prince of peace? There's a lot of parallels here, guys. There's a lot of stuff in here that point us to Jesus in this, right? And so we see here, remember, okay, we're at Abraham. In the book of Genesis, chapter 14, we've studied the book of Exodus, right? And the law comes right around chapter 20 of the book of Exodus when they're out in the middle of the wilderness, doesn't it? And so we see this idea that's happening right here. It says, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The word tenth is tithe. The word tenth is tithe. And I've heard plenty of people say this before, right? Tithing is a principle of the law, and it's no longer valid because Christ fulfilled the law. But this is a principle that came before the law, isn't it? 
This is Abraham here giving a tenth, and it says right there in Scripture, of everything, of everything of everything that he had, right? And people argue all of these types of things. They're like, well, was it everything that he just won? Was it everything that he owned? Was it everything? I don't know. Scripture says everything. So I'm just going to assume it's everything, right? It's everything. It says he gave a tenth of everything. It doesn't say a tenth of everything he just won in battle. It doesn't say a tenth of everything that he's owned his entire life. It just says he gave a tenth of everything. And so that's all I have to work off of here. But I understand and I know, okay, that this principle, okay, was established right here with Abraham and Melchizedek. So we see that Melchizedek, the priest, of course, I believe, and some would argue, Christophany, right? That Abraham is giving an offering unto God, right? And so now we can jump. This takes place about 400 years before the law would be given. 400 years before the law would get, be given. Uh, I, I read one commentary that said, it's almost exactly 430 years if you want to do the math. Okay, from Melchizedek's uh, meeting with Abram here to the time that Moses would receive the law on Mount Sinai. It's about 430 years. And so we're going to jump to Leviticus, the law, right? In chapter 27, in verse 30, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy unto the Lord. Will be holy unto the Lord. Here's the interesting thing, right? Right before you have this law that instructs the people to give a tenth, if you go back just a few chapters in the book of Leviticus, you'll find in Leviticus chapter 23 that God is going to ordain these feasts. Y'all like to eat? I do. I love to eat. I just really enjoy having a party with some food, especially if you guys are at the party and Mary Beth brings her stew to the party, right? With some nice crusty French bread, some beef stew, some of that other stuff you guys bring to the party. We need to have more parties. <laughs> I was just thinking, right? The Lord established feasts. He established festivals in the Old Testament for them to be able to celebrate together. And here's what I love about the Jewish people, right? I just did a pretty uh, extensive study through all seven of the feasts that the Jewish people celebrate. And, and here's what I love about the Jewish people. When they have a feast, they feast. They have a big feast. Now they feast and fast. They feast and fast. But, but here's what happens. They'll start feasting at sundown. I mean, they'll start fasting at sundown, but right before the fast begins, they have a big feast. That's pretty much how all of their festivals go. They'll have a big party, a big celebration. They'll eat a whole bunch of food. Then they'll start their 24-hour fast. They'll fast, 
And then they'll go to sundown the next evening. You guys understand that the Jewish calendar is from sundown to sundown. In, in modern culture, they usually go around 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. because that's a lot easier to structure and maintain on a calendar than saying sundown to sundown because you all know how it is, right? Right now, the sun's going down, what, 6.30, something like that. In the middle of the summer, the sun doesn't go down until like 8.30, and you're like, I'm tired, and it's still daylight outside. What's happening, right? And there's a time in the right in the, towards the end of December, beginning of January, the sun's going, it's like 5 o'clock when that, that hour shifts there. It's like 5 o'clock. You're like, I just got out of work, and it's dark outside. This is craziness, okay? And so to make it easy because of those, the changing seasons and those types of things. In modern culture, they say 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. is your standard sundown to sundown. So that's when they do their fasting. But right before they feast, guess what they do at the after sundown on the night of the second day? Just guess. They feast. I think it's great, right? I think it's great because they, they like to eat. They like to eat. And it's a way to celebrate God's provision. It's a way to celebrate how God has supplied for them. So, so here in Leviticus chapter 23, we have all these festivals just laid out one right after the other one for us, right? We all know the festival of Passover. Uh, that is quickly followed by uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a kind of, uh, we have translated that into our culture today to be spring cleaning, it's a feast in which they clean all the leaven out of their house. They actually do it before the Passover to get their houses ready and all these types of things. And they take it all away, take it all away. Well, right in the middle of that feast of Passover unleavened bread is another feast that they celebrate. And it's called the Feast of the First Fruits. The Feast of the First Fruits. Okay. And so all of this happens at the beginning of harvest. Because harvest was the central focus of the Jewish culture because it was an agricultural place, right? And still today, if you go to Israel, right? I had the privilege of going last summer. You'll find that they are still very much agricultural. They ship out tons of fruits and vegetables all over the world. It is one of their primary sources. If you've ever had a medjool date, it probably came from Israel, Okay, lots of figs and things like that also come from Israel. They're in abundance, right? Uh, Grapevines in abundance, olives in abundance. There's all kinds of things that come from that area of the country. And so they celebrate harvest. They celebrate harvest. And I was telling my students as we were studying the festivals recently, so uh, if you're new here, I'm a, I'm a teacher at a Christian school. I teach Bible. I was telling my students that when I lived in Peru, they celebrate harvest. It's a very agricultural country. And especially where I lived in the provincia, that's what they call it, right? They don't have state breaks and downs. They have more, it's called the provincia. It means outside of the big city, okay? Uh, and so we... I lived in the provincia there, and because I was the pastor of the church, when it was time for the grapes to be harvested, I'm serious, guys. Pastor, this is our first harvest from our grapevine. Pastor, 
This is our first harvest from my garden. Pastor, this is our first. They took it very literal, very literal. And that stuff was good. I like that. I think that's great in a culture. As a pastor, I champion that, right? Uh, I'm kidding. But, but the reality is, is they took it very literal, that feast of first fruits, okay? The first fruit of the vine. Now, here's the interesting thing. Here in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 14, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and on that day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering before the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread or gra nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Focus on that last line. It is a statute forever throughout all of your generations. I have several Jewish friends that are Messianic Jews. They believe in Jesus. They believe that, that the festivals and these things are a foreshadowing of the coming Christ, as it says in Colossians chapter 2. It says that all of these things are a foreshadowing of the coming Christ. And, and you can study all of the feasts and all of the festivals, and you can see the foreshadowing of Christ in all of them. Okay? You can see it in all of them. But what we have here in this particular, in this particular passage of the Scripture, and it says this after all of them, it says it shall be a statute forever. So there are many Jewish Messianic believers that still practice these festivals today because they believe as a Jew, they are supposed to continue celebrating these things, okay? Now, is that going to get them into or keep them out of heaven? Nope, it's not. They know that only by the blood of Jesus uh, can we enter into the presence of the holy God, but the reality is, is that it helps them remember their heritage. It helps them remember these things that God ordained to them. So, so here's the difficult part. And this is why the Feast of First Fruits is so important to us, right? You're like, he's talking about grains and he's talking about this. I'm about to get to your checkbook in a minute, okay? Listen, here's, here's the reality, okay? The first fruit of the vine, you, you take it all off and you take it to the Lord. This is right at the beginning of harvest. You don't know if there's going to be a second fruit, you don't know. You don't know if there's going to be enough food to feed your family at the end of the day if these vines don't produce more. And God said, bring it to me because I want to see that you trust me. Bring it to me, your first fruit. Don't wait until the harvest has reaped plentiful and then go, hey, there's plenty here. We should bring some to the Lord because those priests need to eat. He says, nope, trust me. Trust me. And here's what I'm going to do. You bring me that first fruit, 
and the rest will grow in abundance and you'll have plenty. Don't you worry about it. You don't trust me with the first fruit, the rest, it'll seem like enough, but for some reason it'll never make it. And I'm going to tell you, right now, I've done both. I've trusted Him with the first fruits of my life, of my finances, of everything that God has given me. And I said, Lord, it's yours. I'm trusting you with it. I'm stepping out in faith. I can look at a budget, and I love the idea of budgeting. I wish I was good at it, you guys. I wish I was good at it. I'm not, okay? But I love the idea of budgeting. You ever love the idea of something and go, I wish I was really good at it? Yeah. Well, we got to be honest with ourselves, don't we? Okay? Right? But, but, but here's the reality. I love the idea of this, right? But when we look at that sometimes, we go, okay, this is rent. This is car. This is insurance. I said it already. Insurance, 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 right? This is groceries. Oh, Lord. There's nothing left. I made a mistake. I made a terribly tragic mistake. Because when God has called me to budget, He says, this is the Lord's. I don't know. We'll figure that out. But we have to say this is the Lord's first. That's what the Feast of First Fruits is. It says before you know whether the rest is going to reach to feed your family or not, give it to Him. And he says, when you trust me in that, when you trust me in that, I'll make sure that the harvest reaps enough that you have more than you can imagine. Right? I'll make sure. How? Oh, be careful. Be careful. Because the prosperity gospel will say, you give 10, he'll give you 100. Because he's going to multiply it tenfold. Ask a man by the name of George Mueller. Anyone ever read the autobiography of George Mueller? Yeah, okay. George Mueller was a, a uh, missionary, really, in England, and he started an orphanage. And he said, Lord, I'm going to trust you to provide. I'm giving you everything I have. I'm giving up everything that I have. And my wife and I, we're going to jump right in here with my family and we're going to start an orphanage because we believe that's what you've called us to do. We're going to buy property with everything you've given us and we're going to build a little thing and we're going to do this and we're going to trust you for every penny that we need. Every penny. Every penny. There were days where there were no food for like over a hundred orphans sitting at a table. And he said... Children, here's what I need you to do. I need you to bow your heads and I need you to thank the Lord for the bread and the milk that's on your plate. Mr. Mueller, my cup is empty and there's no bread on my plate. He said, bow your head and thank the Lord for his provision. And they bowed their head and they thanked the Lord for his provision. Excuse me, I noticed that you have quite a large home here and it's for orphans. Well, I, my wagon, I'm delivering milk. Uh, the wheel got stuck in a hole in the road and the wheel is busted. 
Is there any way you could use several gallons of milk right now? Because uh, it's going to go bad while I wait for my wagon to get fixed. Milk for over 100 kids showed up at the door as soon as they finished praying. <laughs> Mr. Mueller, I know you got a lot of kids here, and I don't know what happened to our baker last night, but he way over-baked the bread. There is so much bread. I, I, I gave him the quota, and he said that's what he baked, but I showed up this morning, and there was twice the amount that we needed, and we just don't know what to do with all this fresh bread. It's going to go bad if we don't use it. Could you guys use it? And he took the bread, and he tore it into pieces, and he put it on their plates. And exactly as they had thanked the Lord for bread and milk, bread and milk showed up at their door. Guys, sometimes... When we give all unto the Lord in the way that he calls us to do, it don't show up in the way that you think it's going to. I'm sure that George Mueller thought, okay, now the money's going to start flowing in and everything's going to be fine. If you read his autobiography, okay, he's like, he went to the mailbox, okay, there was a check there and it was just enough for what they needed to be able to pay the, the, the bills this month, but just barely, just barely. What were they going to do? What were they going to do? right? And time after time after time again, God showed up and God provided and God did. And, and it's such a beautiful story. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. But it doesn't always work the way we think it's going to work. And be careful of the prosperity gospel that says, if I give God $10, he's going to give me a hundred. No, but scripture does say that if we bring our first fruits into the house of the Lord and we honor him, with what we have, that God will provide for you. What's that going to look like? I don't know. I can't tell you. But I certainly know people that, uh, I had a friend who gave everything that he had unto the Lord. He said, Lord, I'm yours. I want to do ministry. I want to do all of these things. I, I trust you. I know that you are a good and holy God. And about five or six years into his ministry, a guy walked up to him and said, hey, I don't, the Lord told me I'm supposed to sell you this house for $50,000. He said, I, I can't let you do that. That, worth, that house is worth like $200,000. He's like, yeah, but the Lord told me. He gave me this number, $55,000. That's how much I'm supposed to charge you for it. And he's like, well, we've been praying for a house and we can afford $55,000. We can't afford two hundred. dollars And he said, yeah, I... I I don't know, I'm just trying to be obedient to the Lord. He gave me that number, $55,000. Sometimes, again, I, we don't know. We don't know how that stuff's gonna. So I, I wanna be careful that you guys don't, don't get that idea wrong in that pro priority, in that prosperity gospel. So uh, I wanna quote, um, last summer, Pastor Daniel and I went on a trip, and, and I had met Jim Gallagher several years ago. Uh, he's a pastor up in Vero Beach, and uh, I had met him about 25 years ago, um, and just in, in passing, and, but for some reason I remembered him, uh, maybe because I was going to be sitting having lunch with him uh, this past summer, and uh, I just started teaching a new class at school, an Old Testament survey. 
okay, partially where I get into these deep dives into festivals and stuff like that. And uh, he created this whole series of outlines over the Old Testament, New Testament, all of the books of the Bible. And uh, Pastor Daniel handed them off to me, and I was like, well, I, I don't want to use somebody's material without talking to them or without asking them and, and kind of asking them if I can use that as kind of a structure or a guideline. So we sat down, we had lunch with him, and he's like, use it, absolutely. And this is a theme that shows up on a regular basis. And so I want to show you this quote from Jim. It says, the practice has changed, but the principle remains the same. The practice. Now I'm paraphrasing because he, he does, says this several times through the book of Leviticus, through the book of Deuteronomy, as he gives these outlines, right? The practice has changed. How do we practice the Feast of First Fruits, right? That's different today in our culture. In Peruvian culture, it wasn't so different for them because they're agricultural. To them, it was you bring the pastor a box of grapes when the harvest yields the grapes because that's what you have. That's what you bring, right? And so that was to them. And again, right? But he said the principle remains the same. The principle remains the same. We bring it unto the Lord. We bring it unto the Lord. And so uh, we need help, guys. We need help with finances. We need to learn to trust the Lord. Money's difficult. It's hard. Some of you are really good with it. Some of you are great with it. Okay, you ever met a person that could stretch a, stretch a dollar uh, and you're like, I don't, I don't even know how they do that. They're so good with money, right? And then you meet somebody else that uh, they get a dollar and they lose it before they even, I mean, it's like it, everybody's in a different place with these types of things, but we need help. And if you need help, I want to encourage you, okay? We have some of these, and I'm going to quote this in just a minute. I'm going to take you through a little bit of this, right? It's called financial freedom. Now, if you guys know Dave Ramsey, uh, this is not Dave Ramsey, okay? Uh, this is June Hunt. Now, June uses a lot of the same principles that Dave Ramsey uses, okay? But this little book is packed with great biblical, everything she says, she gives you a verse to support it. Everything she says, she gives you a verse to support it. That's why I like it. That's why I think it's great, right? I've got a few of them up here. If you're really, to, you're like, I need help with this area of my life, I will give you one of these tonight. And if I run out of them and have enough people, I will order some and make sure to get one in your hands in the next couple of weeks. I have no idea how long they take uh, to get here. I didn't, Pastor Daniel had these left over uh, from previous, but it is a valuable resource, very practical, very simple. I want to tell you some of the things that she does, some basic the main thing that she talks about, one of the main principles that you have to get into your life for you to submit your finances unto the Lord is contentment. Being content. Am I content with where the Lord has me and how the Lord has provided for me right now? Am I content? Okay. And so there's a couple of principles in contentment to gain godly contentment, right? Godly contentment with what you have. Because envy is a huge problem in our society, isn't it? Right? Another class that I teach in Christian ethics, we're taking a look at social media and how social media generates envy amongst young people. Okay? 
And I'll tell you the truth. As a school teacher working in a private school where a lot of our families are extremely wealthy, okay, sometimes it's hard. I drive a decent car, but most of the kids pull up next to me in Jaguars and BMWs, and, and I'm like, huh, I'd like to drive one of those. I'd like to live in a house on the beach. I'd just like to live in a bigger house. I'd just like to... And all of a sudden, I find myself kind of spiraling down this hole, and I watch my children do it. I watch them look at their friends while wearing their Michael Kors uh, slaps that cost $300 or whatever that other famous designer is that costs a lot of money, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Except for I can't afford them. But, I mean... What's wrong with just buying them to keep up with the Joneses just a little bit, right? Be content. And here's what she says. She gives you three things. And she actually gives you like five. And I pulled three of them out uh, just for the sake of time. I pulled three of them out. Remind yourself. Remind yourself. God owns everything. And look how she does it. After every one of them, there's a verse. And I'm going to give you the, the verse. It says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine, says the Lord. The world and its fullness are mine. Understand, remind yourself, God owns everything. The world and its fullness are his. Recognize, recognize that God is as the source of all things. He provides everything you possess. Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18 says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, and he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And I love that verse so much. When I read that, I was like, yes! Because you know what I hear all the time when I talk to people about money? It ain't God's money. I work hard. I work hard to make this money. It's my money. I went to work. I did the job. I worked all day long, and I got a paycheck. So you tell me God provides. I provided for that. But look what this verse says. Be careful lest you say, it was me. I did the work. I did the thing. I went to the place. In my strength, in my power, I did it. Remember that it's the Lord who gave you that strength, who gave you that power, who gave you that job, who gave you the legs that you could walk on, the car that you could drive to that job, who gave you everything that you have. It all belongs to the Lord. And then realize that God wants you to be content with what you have. He wants you to be like him. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can't take anything out of the world. But if you have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Contentment. Scripture talks about contentness. There's great gain. We need to recognize that we lack contentment because we have all these expectations on money. 
You ever got really excited because you were going to do this job and you were going to make this money and now you were going to have $1,000 that wasn't budgeted or planned into your day and maybe you could just take a little vacation. Or maybe you could, boom, you need new tires that cost $1,000. Dang. But I was going to, Hey, praise Jesus. He provided you the money to pay for those tires before it even happened. We have expectations of money. We think if I get that job that pays that amount of money, then I'll be able to X, Y, and Z. You get that job that pays that amount of money, then your mortgage payment goes up by that amount of money because insurance just went up 30%. And you go, dang it. I thought that was going to change my living status. Nope. It was God providing before the need became real. And that's how God is. That's how he works. When we're faithful with our first fruit, God fills in those little details. And sometimes he does it before the need actually arises. And then you look backwards and you go, praise Jesus for this. Because if that raise I got didn't come, I wouldn't have been able to make my mortgage payment. Imagine. And that's happening to people all over the place, right? And so we see those types of things as God continues to provide in our life. So what are our expectations of money? We need to look to Christ for all of these things. Philippians 4.19, and I'm almost done here, guys, okay, is so important to remind us, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you about Real quick, as I finish up, this is the very last thing that I have. Four, uh, three principles. Wait, do I have four? Yeah, okay. Uh, really, four principles of giving. Four principles of giving, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about bringing our first fruits. We're talking about trusting God with what we have. We're talking about the idea of tithes and offerings, the idea of giving into the Lord, the very topic that most people hate to talk about in church right? So, so here we go. Give obediently. Give obediently. Give obediently. God called us to give. He said it's his, and he wants us to bring it to him. He instituted a festival of first fruits in the Old Testament. He continues to talk about the idea of trusting him with everything that we have in the New Testament, right? In Proverbs 3, 9, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the first fruits of all of your produce. See how first fruits keep showing up? It does. It shows up a lot all throughout Scripture. Give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. 2 Corinthians 8.3 For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. And beyond their means of their own accord. Right? Maybe you've heard the principle, give till it hurts. Okay, now, as the Lord leads you, as the Lord leads you, okay, as the Lord leads you, when God calls you to give, even if it doesn't make sense, obey him. That goes back to be obedient, be obedient, okay? So here we go, give sacrificially. 
If we start and we say, Lord, I don't know where the rest is going to come from, but you called me obediently to give unto you. I'm starting right there. And I'm going to trust you with the rest of it. You're going to have to work out some details that don't make sense to me. But I trust you, God. Right? Give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And we've talked about this several times. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't give because I'm standing up here telling you you got to give. Giving is an act of worship unto the Lord. Our finances belong to Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, it's with his strength and with his might that I get myself out of bed every day and go to my job. And I have to recognize that. And I say, Lord, it's all yours. It's all yours. What do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with it? You want me to help this person pay their electric bill this month because they're struggling? Amen, hallelujah. We're not going out to dinner. Can't go, can't go out here, can't go out there. That's okay. God's provided, right? So <clears throat> here's the last one. I'm going to end with this. And you guys know this. Um, Malachi 3.10 you can't talk about tithing unless you talk about Malachi. You guys know that, right? That's like a rule somewhere. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. If you talk about tithing, you must talk about Malachi 3.10. Okay? Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Put me to the test and I will, my mama used to say, bless your socks off. I'll bless your socks off. Put me to the test. Put me to the test. There's not a lot of things in scripture where God says, hey, test me on this one. There's several things that says, don't test me. But in this, he says, hey, trust me. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at right now, trust me is what God's saying. Be obedient. Recognize him. Submit to him. Guys, this is not, listen, I think it's next week. We probably aren't even starting Galatians next week. I said we were. I don't think we are, actually. I think he's going to give a financial report next week. And you're going to see that God provides. This is not a, hey, we're poor, we're broke, we need your money type of message. This is about you and the Lord. God has provided every year mind-blowingly for this little church, to be honest with you. For the amount of people that sit in these seats, when I look at the budget, I go, praise Jesus, hallelujah. Because it doesn't always make sense. But that's just how God works. That's just how he does things. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. Because it doesn't always make sense. And if you want to see that in your life, you got to trust him in this area. We got to be obedient to what he's called us to do. So trust God. Maybe you've got to trust him in baby steps because that's where you're at. And you say, Pastor, I just, it's so hard for me to get to 10%. Okay, give 2%. Just trust God. 
Start somewhere. Start somewhere. I remember listening to something the other day. I listened to a lot of books, and I think it was a leadership book that said, hey, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, or today, or today, or today, because in 20 years, that tree will be planted, and it will be grown. But if you continue to put it off, that tree will never be planted. It will never be grown. So if you're waiting for some big move in your financial life to be able to trust God with your finances, the only big move you're going to see is when you trust God with your finances. That's true. And I've seen it a million times. I could give you testimony after testimony in my life and after many people that I've ministered to in, as a pastor, their lives, when they've submitted to the Lord, when they've trusted the Lord in these things, God has shown up in big ways in their life that don't make sense on a piece of paper because our God is bigger than budgets. He's bigger than anything you could possibly imagine. Be responsible. Be budget. All of those things are good. Plan. Have your retirement. Have all of those things. I don't speak against any of those things. But please trust the Lord first. Bring it unto the storehouse. Trust Him and say, God, it's yours. It's yours. You do with it what you want. In this church, we want to reach Delray Beach. We want to reach the kingdom of God. We want to reach the people that are lost and needing. And that, that's what we do with the finances that come into this place. Whether it's hosting events or uh, have, being able to have Pastor Daniel on staff so that he's free to go to the hospital and share with a guy. We were just, I was just talking to Mike. Daniel was at the hospital all day before he left, taking, or the, yesterday, I think, Friday, whatever, taking communion leading the guy unto the Lord because that's what we're called to do. And we can't do that. We can't do that unless this body of believers steps up and is obedient to what God has called us to do as a body. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Lord, thank you that you are holy and that we can trust you. Lord, uh, we just ask, Lord, that you would just be with us, that you would guide us. Lord, and I pray for those in the room that struggle in this area. Lord, I pray that you would help them submit this part of their lives unto you. Lord, that they would trust you. Lord, I pray that you would grow each of us in this, Lord. And we wouldn't be bound to a system, Lord, but that we would be led by you. Lord, that we would be available to you the things that you've called us to. Lord, help us to be wise in this area. Lord, help us to uh, worship you. Lord, we don't want to worship our finances, Lord. We want to worship you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you. We give you all glory and honor in your name. Amen.
Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter what you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.